that's Pakistan. That was last February. Um, <clears throat> so sometimes people ask me, what is the difference in our ministry and the typical way of doing missions? Well, I think you just saw that. Now, if I was a typical, I, I have two terms, traditional missionary and biblical missionary. And maybe I can get into that in one time I'm speaking. There, there is a difference between the two, by the way. But uh, when I look at, um, if I were a traditional missionary, I would come to you tonight and say, please support my ministry so I can go back and preach to those people. But as a biblical missionary, I say to you, please pray for God's servants who are in Pakistan today who are preaching to those people. Right. If it's, why should it be dependent on me? Because I'm white? Because I'm American? Because I look like Brad Pitt? <laughs> oh, it is true. You know it. He says, who's Brad Pitt? Uh, why, why do we have the idea that, that our poor Lord only has us that he can use to reach his world with the gospel? What was he thinking to die on the cross 2,000 years ago before there was the United States of America? He doesn't need us. In fact, I, I, I will tell you honestly, we get in his way more than we help him. Now, you know, again, I'll get an opportunity, I'll explain it to you. And by the way, if you're going to come Saturday, write down questions you want to ask, okay? Because uh, you, you're not going to, well, if you're like me, you're not going to remember them. Uh, before I get started, I want to tell you, on the table in the back, I've got some traditional prayer cards. I've got three books. I've written three books on missions now. Uh, and there's a little blue machine on the table. Um, you stick your credit card in there, and it will debit it, $10. Because these books, we let them go for $10 at churches. I say it'll debit 10. Every now and then it'll debit $1,000, but <laughs> I just figured that's the Lord's will or it wouldn't have happened. So you say, what if I, what if I want to buy all of your books? Just dunk it in there. Over and over. Every time it, it'll, you put it in, it'll show you an arrow. To, that means pull it out. And then it'll light up saying 10, 10, 10. That means 10, 20, 30. The first book, I, I think I wrote about, I, I came to your church, I think in 2011, I believe I had just written it then. It deals with a lot of stories, how, how our ministry got started, the philosophy behind it, why we started this ministry. In reality, I didn't know we were starting a ministry. I just knew I was starting a path that the Holy Spirit was leading me down, and it became ministry. And by the way, I'm happy to say that our stats were wrong on that thing that I sent to first started and my wife, you know, I had, I've had, I've had two wives. Uh, my first wife is not with me anymore. She ran off with a guy named Jesus and lives in his house up there. Now, some of them are really starting to worry about that now. Okay, Jesus, she passed away. She's with Jesus now. Jesus in, in Spanish, okay. Um, and then some of you know my wife, Nolene. I'm sorry she's not here. We have a brother-in-law who's in the hospital dying, and so she's taking a, a niece back and forth. It's a broken family, so back and forth to visit her dad before he dies. Uh, he has professed Christ, so we're, we're thankful for that. But um, also, uh, I wanted to tell you that we have we have our newest book. I, 
told Brother Mike we wrote this one for him because I knew he had a hard time understanding things. So it's uh, this is written for Mike. It's, it's a children's book. Where'd Mike go? I don't know. Uh, he's probably out there letting the air out of my tires. It's not my car, Mike. But anyway, uh, we, we want to have a we want to we want to indoctrinate your children for missions. So we wrote our first children's missionary storybook. Uh, if it pays for itself, we'll write more because we've got thousands of stories. This is a true story. A preacher I met in 1992, now I'm in Pradesh, India. And when he told me a story then, I thought that is the most incredible thing. And we kind of shrink it down to fit into this saying. We make it nice and calm so that children won't get scared. But uh, they're, they're out there on the table too. Now, um, I have... Brother George wanted me to come here and talk to you guys about missions and so forth. <sighs> Where do we begin? Thanks. Um, tonight, what I want to do is to encourage you about missions. Now, you know, I've come a long way to get here, Brother Kevin has too. And by the way, I'll do a lot better job than Kevin. <laughs> if he really wants to be good, he's got to lose more hair. Working on, but he ain't there yet. You know, when I became a man, I put away childish things. <laughs> but uh, y'all have come for nothing, and we have come for nothing if we cannot educate you on missions, and encourage you, and inspire you. So that's my hope to do that. First of all, I hope to be a blessing to the Lord. Second of all, to you all, His children. I'm 67 now. I am not old. I look 57. I'm 67 years old. And more and more, I just lost my dear brother a month or so ago. Lost a wife, lost both parents, lose friends all the time. I have another friend I'm expecting to lose. Any day now, I mean, good night. How long are you going to hang on? I get forgetful some things. Uh, I like I, he, when he dropped me off today, I left a bag in his car that had everything I needed in it. But, you know, when he comes to Honduras, he usually leaves his teeth in my car. So um, I said, who's her? Th- oh, George, okay. <laughs> Uh-oh. I already got the love offering, so there's nothing to do about it. Uh, okay, let's, let's be serious. Um Turn to the book of Judges, if you would, please. Man, I couldn't find Judges. I am getting old. Folks, if I don't remember you, please, I'm not trying to be conceited. I just don't remember, okay? It's getting bad. So uh, I quite often now lose my way in the middle of whatever I'm talking about, so. Just bear with me if that happens. I mean, I'm getting old, and I think my brain is older than the rest of you. Please don't let me leave my phone here tonight. I just tell everybody that. Oh, I know what I was trying to tell you. Uh, I've got magazines on the table. I know a lot of you probably already get it, but they're free. That's the only thing on the table that's free. Uh, if you'd like to have one, take it home with you. Sunday, I'll have some sort of a sign-up for you if you'd like to get it on a regular basis, quarterly, either by mail or by email. Uh, we have some pictures on the table of some of our preachers that I'll discuss with you during Sunday school and the Sunday night service. I'm not going to get into it tonight. 
to just look at them and walk away. That's what most people do anyway. Uh, we have some pictures of some of our children's feeding centers back there just for you to look at. I'll get into all that on another day. Tonight, I just want to talk about ministries. Judges chapter 7. It's, it's, actually, it follows Judges chapter 6, believe it or not. Uh, you have a man named Gideon. I'm going to tell you a story that you already know. But let's see what we can learn from it, if you can think at all. In Judges, we, you find that Gideon and his people were being handicapped and attacked and so forth by the Midianites and some of the others that traveled with the Midianites. Who were the Midianites? The Midianites were the descendants of Esau or some of the descendants of Esau. They inhabited, so they were sons of Abraham as well. Uh, they inhabited southwestern uh, Arabian Peninsula, uh, along the Arabian Gulf, all the way down to the country of Yemen. Every year they would come up as Bedouins, as they were. Bedouins means they, they traveled on camelback or foot or whatever. They weren't sedentary so much. So every year at the end of the harvest season, they would come up to Israel. They would attack Israel to steal the wheat harvest. After they had gotten the wheat harvest, then they would do a U-turn and go down into eastern Egypt, which is real the Sinai Peninsula. And there they would invade them as well and steal their wheat harvest. Then they would go back up to northern Israel, and there they would try to steal the barley harvest. Once they got it, they turn around and go back home for nine months and live off what they had stolen from everybody else. Now, barley is quite a bit different from wheat. You know, we make our bread all out of wheat, but barley was considered to them be a lower type of grain, more for the poor people, maybe even for the animals. But it was necessary because animals have to eat too. You find Gideon. And sometimes understand that in the scriptures we read these stories and we think these are great men of God. And if you look at them in detail, you usually find out these are men who didn't even know who God was. They didn't have the knowledge of God we have because they didn't have the complete record given in the Bible. But it's what they did with what they knew. And by the way, when your pastor's talking to you about missions, it's not how much can you do. It's what you do. How much do you accomplish? All my life growing up, the goal of every independent Baptist church, it seemed, was to see how many missionaries we can support. So instead of giving them $50 or $100 a month, they'd give them $10 or $25 a month because it stretched the money out. And somehow pastors sometimes would kind of wear a, a little pride, prideful attitude because, well, we support 450 missionaries. How much do you give? Oh, we give them $10 a month each. Well, I'm sure you're thankful for the $10. But what is your goal? Is it to see how many men you can help on the field? And by the way, at $10, you didn't put them on the field. You bought them a hamburger at McDonald's while they were on their way. But thank God for that because some of us really like McDonald's hamburgers. <laughs> but your, our goal shouldn't be how many can we get there, but what are they going to accomplish once they get there? You say, well, we have no way of knowing then why are you supporting them? The scripture says, know them who labor among you and over you in the Lord. The scripture says, don't lift up any man too quickly. Don't lift up a novice because he'll be filled with conceit and he'll, be, he'll fall. And I see it all the time. See, well, they came by and they had a lovely family and they had this great burden for Zimbabwe. Why do they have a burden for Zimbabwe? Well, they went there on a mission trip. Well, how, if you love the Lord, how can you go on a missions trip anywhere and not get a burden for the people? Did you know that 43% of all independent Baptist missionaries who start on deputation never finish it? 
43%. Some of them don't figure that out till they're in their third or fourth or fifth year of deputation. And churches like yours have been writing them a check every week. You never got the answer to it. You say, well, that's between them and the Lord. No, 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 no. You're a steward. That's between you and the Lord. I'm here to tell you, and I'm sure Tim can tell you the same thing. I'm trying to lay up rewards in heaven. I'm not a teenager anymore, so that's not an imaginary concept to me. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth. Lay them up in heaven. You say, is that the only reason you serve the Lord? No, but if it was, it's a good enough reason. Because he commanded us to do that. He was giving us financial advice. Lay them up in heaven. And right now, I'm trying to get as many rewards up there as I can get. And that's why I do ask people to help us in our ministry. Why? Because Paul said to those who donated to him that they are laying up treasures in heaven because of their support for him. What he does goes to their account also. You say, what does your wife do in the ministry? It doesn't matter what she does. Whatever I do goes to her account. She's my wife. She's with me 100%. I'm, look, I'll never be rich on this earth. I don't care. Cares about that. As long as I got, as long as I got five meals a day, that's all I care about. I, I want to be rich up there. I don't know what you can spend your wealth on in heaven, but there's got to be a reason he wants us to have it. Maybe because he doesn't want to have. Maybe he's having to feed everybody else that didn't lay up any treasures, and he appreciates somebody comes along that has a bank account up there. Look. If you're going to support missions and support somebody who's doing something, Amen. you say, how do I know what they're doing? Um, ask them. You take a 23-year-old guy fresh out of Bible college and all we ever did was drive a bus and teach a Sunday school class, but you're going to support him to go to a country that speaks a language he's never learned, to plant churches which he's never done here? Why do you think he's going to succeed? I mean, what kind of imaginary world do you live in? They're not going to succeed. They're going to fail. And most of them do. 43% never get out of the mission field, but I mean to the mission field, but they're called missionaries. Why? Because we call anybody a missionary who wants to get paid full time to serve God. You used to be a missionary and a guy who goes to the jails to preach. Now he's a missionary and a missionary to the jails. Why? When, when did that change? Oh, because he's full-time now. Well, how often does he go to the jails? Most every Sunday. Now, what's he doing Monday through Saturday? I'm not picking on God. That's a great, That's where I learned to win souls, in jails. Layman taught me. Layman taught me to street preach. A layman taught me bus ministry. Pastors don't teach you bus ministry. No, they do. But laymen, laymen are the backbone. Guys don't understand how much the little boys look up to me, and I'm sure the little girls do too, but I wouldn't know that. But I know the little boys look up to me. And you guys that are older teenagers, they look up to you as if you're Methuselah. You're their idols. Give them a, give them an example to follow. Amen. My goodness. Well, let's get back to the word. I'm gonna bounce around if you don't mind. Look, when I preach overseas, I, I don't usually even have a Bible with me. I, I know that sounds bad, but understand something. The people that I'm preaching to have never seen a Bible. They don't have a Bible. 
you're not going to get a Bible, and I don't want to lay up a foundation. I've got something you don't have, so I want you to see that we have God's Word in our heart. Uh, I, I go. Pakistan's a, a great trip. It's it's hard, but it's not as hard as a place like maybe India. I go to India, and I'm there for a month, and I'll preach ten times a day in India. I don't preach the same sermon twice in every month. So how do you do that? It's not with sermon notes. Thy word have I hid in my heart. I look for things that are going just like Jesus did. He walked by and saw a tower that a guy had begun building generations before he came to this earth. And he said, I'm going to use this to teach about procrastination and rushing too far ahead. He said, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And every time he said that, he's pointing to them right at the tower that he's talking about. And that's how you do, that's how I do on the mission field. If I see somebody demon-possessed, I'll preach on either on the, well, I'll preach on the maniac of Gadara. Or I'll tell them about my mother-in-law, one of the two. Uh, if you see some blind people there, you talk about how Jesus healed the blind. Then you pray to God if they don't ask you to heal them. Uh, uh, I'm not Ernest Ainsley. I can't do that. Uh, we need to adapt our message to the culture of preaching it. The message doesn't change. Our way of presenting it may change based on a culture. Like there's many, many, you know, I would never, when I go to the Middle Eastern area, I would never walk up to a man and say, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? My goodness, I'd have a knife across my throat before I finished the sentence because they would take that as a threat. So you have to learn how to deal with the culture you're in. That's what Paul meant when he said, I became all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. Paul didn't go as a Jewish missionary. He went as one of them. He learned to eat their food, to dress like them, to talk like them, and to become one of them. And that's what missions really is about. So why do these guys go to the mission field and fail? Here's one reason. Because God didn't call them. But we thought God called them. No, no, no. There's a difference between a call you love the Lord, you're going to get a burden for every, people ask me, what, what's your favorite country? Wherever I'm at the moment. I have a burden for where I'm at. But when I move on to the next country, the burden for India now can outweigh my burden for Pakistan. But my call to missions is never affected. Yeah. You're either called or you're not. So you say, well, what about these guys that go and come back? They're doing the right thing, probably. At least they went. At least they tried. And when they got there, they realized, hey, this really, I don't think this is what God had for me. Well, bravo for you. You gave an effort. Good for you. But wouldn't it have been great if somebody had taught them before they ever went there? Right. You know, right after World War II, we sent, America sent over 3,000 missionaries to the Philippines. Why? Clark, Subic Bay. Soldiers were there. They got a burden for the Filipino people. They went to the Philippines. 25 years later, there were only 300 out of the 3,000 still there. Why? Because the rest of them realized, oh, that wasn't a call. That was just a burden I had. And there's Filipinos in America, so I could just stay there and witness the Filipinos there. By the way, I hear people all the time, oh, I feel God wants me to, me to be a missionary to the Jews, but, you know, Israel won't let me in. There are 89 countries on this planet that has Jewish people living in them. There's several hundred of them, well, really several thousand of them living in Tehran, Iran. They've been there since uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Some of them would support his national kingdom. 
for your own people, but for the Iranian Muslims also. And why don't you sit in America? Because you can't go over there as an American. That's why. So our, our battle plan has always been, well, if I can't go there, then we'll just forget about that part of the world and concentrate on Mexico. Is that what God told us to do, to forget about the rest of the world? As you're going into all the world, yeah, they don't want you there, just go somewhere else. Isn't that what he said right before he just left the earth? No. He said, but if we can't get in, we can't get in. Then work with those who are already there. They're not trying to get in. They're there. All you got to do is make sure they're doctrinally sound, morally pure, have experience. They're experienced church planners. They're experienced tra- uh, disciples of, of the next generation of preachers. You say, well, how can we know that? Well, that's where you use people like Tim or like me. That's our job. We find these guys. We make sure they're okay. We hold them accountable. And then we present them to you saying, hey, you want to support a guy in this country? I look on your missionary's map. Hey, you don't have anybody on mine. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying about you. I'm talking about churches in general. We don't have anybody in Yemen. We don't have anybody in the United Arab Emirates. We don't have anybody in Libya, in Algeria, Tunisia, Mauritania, Chad, Ethiopia, Egypt. Why is that? Because we're sending them all to Brazil, Mexico, Philippines, and Great Britain. That's where the majority of our independent Baptist missionaries go. 70% of them go to five countries. Brazil, number one. Mexico, number two. Philippines, number three, Great Britain, number four, and Canada, number five. That's where we're sending our missionaries because nobody in Canada or Great Britain has ever heard the gospel over there. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't have a Bible, so they haven't seen missionaries out there. Now, that's where God tells you to go. Go lickety-split. Get over there and get the job done. But don't get there and tell us how hard it is to start churches hard it is to win these people to Christ. My goodness, it was they who led us to Christ and sent them to go. Gideon is told by an angel of God, Gideon, Gideon, I got to hurry up now. I get sidetracked with Gideon, get me. I was probably about there. Never mind. Um, Gideon is in the wine press, the scripture tells us. He was threshing his wheat or his barley at the wine press. Well, let me tell you something. You don't do that. That's not how it's done. When you when you thresh your, your crops, your wheat, your barley, whatever, they have a blanket or so on the ground, and they beat the stalks like this, and the kernels fall off. Sometimes the captains and lieutenants fall off too. They pick up the they pick up the blanket and they do it like this, and the wind blows, and the chaff gets blown away, and the kernels of grain fall down to the bottom. They'll repeat the process several times. Now it's usually done on top of a hill, by the way, because that's where the wind's blowing. The wine press is a rock structure that they put the grapes in, and then they put a grinding wheel or feed or whatever to, to mesh it out. You're not going to thresh your wheat in a wine press unless you like wine that tastes like opium. And I don't know if that tastes good or not because I don't drink wine. So tell me, is it that way, Pastor? Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The angel of God appeared to him and said, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And Gideon was shocked. He said, are you talking to me? I, I'm from the, one of the lowest tribes of Israel, from one of the lowest families. I'm the youngest one in the family. Are you talking to me? God sees what he's going to make happen. 
make out of you. We see what we have made out of ourselves. So when you sit there sometimes and think, well, I could do this for God, but I don't really know if I could do it. You can do anything God created you to do. You just don't know yet that he created you for that purpose. You find that out by trying to do it. You know how you learn to walk? One step at a time. There's so much we could do for the Lord if we just made an effort. So he said to Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. I want you to call the armies together. So that brings us to chapter 7. Um, then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod so that uh, the hosts of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morit in the valley. You can look that up. You can Google that and see where even all this took place if you want to. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Why? Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. God does not mind saving us. He just doesn't want somebody else to get the glory for it. And anything that's done in our ministries is done because God enabled us to do it. And then he blessed us for trying to do it. It's not because we are better or smarter or whatever. It's just because we try. It's amazing what can be accomplished when you try. Because you're not running in your own power. You're running in the power of Christ. Jesus said, all power is given unto me both in the heavens, the universe, and on earth. How much power is in there? We have no idea. Man can't even compute that. Jesus said, all the power in the universe is in my hand. Now, you go into all the world and preach the gospel everywhere. What is he saying? If we'll use the power he gave us, we can do what he wants us to do. And well, we can't afford to give more than what Jesus gave. tell your kids when they say, Daddy, I'm hungry. Well, I can't afford to buy more food. Yeah, but they're my kids. I love my kids. Well, he's your father. You love your father. Your father said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every person. He didn't say to do it on full stomach or to do it without persecution. He said, go do it. Why? Because he has a message he wants to get to the entire world. Then why doesn't he tell the world himself? He does. Through us. We are the mouthpiece that God has designed and get the good news, the gospel of his son to the rest of the world. So, you know the story, as I said, Gideon brings all the men together, 32,000 men. Now, they weren't a standing army. There'd be a million and a half before they'd be a standing army. They were just farmers. Well, they were tired of hiding in caves every year when the Midianites came. So, he blew the trumpet, and they came out, and he said, we're going to go and we're going to fight the Midianites and God's going to go with us. God who? They knew who God was. They had heard stories that their forefathers had told them. You read that chapter 6, I think it is. Where, where are all these miracles that our forefathers told us about? Joshua's only been dead for maybe 200 years at this time. They, they read about the Red Sea. They heard about the cross of the Jordan. They knew about how everybody had, the people had been destroyed under the commands of God. But they haven't seen anything happen since then. Why? Because God doesn't generally work amongst people who don't believe in him. And people say, why isn't God moving 
in America. Well, I just said, God doesn't usually work among people who don't believe in him. We don't believe that there was a flood. I mean, I know you and I do. We think that's a story, uh, 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 what do you call it? fairy tale. You know, in the Middle East, they believe it. You know what ISIS stood for? The Islamic State of something Southern Shine. Shine. You go to you go to Syria everywhere you go, you see signs that's Shine. It usually spells C H I N. What is Shine? Noah had three boys. Shem is the Arabic pronunciation for the word Shem. Syria today is known as the people of Shem. We read the map, it says Syria, but when they talk about themselves, they say we are the people of Shem. You go to Egypt and you'll see the word Mizraim all over the place. Who is Mizraim? Well, read the book of Genesis. He's the, his father was the one that moved down into that part and created a society of what we call Egypt today. They still call themselves by the name of Noah's grandson. So do they believe there was a flood? You better believe they, they believe it. They believe the Bible more than America believes the Bible. And then we wonder why we have the problems that we have. All right, three lessons we're going to learn from Gideon. Number one, Gideon stood before the men. God told him to tell the people, if you're fearful or afraid, you can go home. And we know the story. So Gideon stood there and he said, okay, God said, anybody who's fearful or afraid, you can go home. I don't know the difference in fearful and afraid. They sound like synonyms to me, but that's what the scripture said. Maybe one of them had a little bit more meaning to it or something. I have no idea. Gideon was not the first general in history to make that speech, nor was he the last. Alexander, they say, did that on some occasions. Julius Caesar did that with his troops before they crossed the Rhine to go into Germany. They would gather the troops out and say, if you're afraid, you don't have to go. Just go on home. The rest of us will go. We'll take care of it. That psychological encouragement for your soldiers, because even though they're afraid, they don't want to be the one who steps out and walks away because they don't want everybody else looking at them and calling them girly boy or whatever they were called in that day. So when I continue to stand there, even though I'm really three miles down the road already, then my, the guy standing beside me say, well, John's not afraid. Why should I be afraid? So it's a psychological thing, but God had a purpose for it. He really was trying to weed them out. If you guys are afraid, go home. And 22,000 men went home. Good grief. Why? Because they gave out. They gave out before they ever even got started. They're those 43% missionaries who never make it through deputation. They gave out before they ever and sometimes in churches, the pastors will say, we're going to take up pledges for our missions program. And you want to write down a big number, and you finally settle a number, but then you never give it. Or you give half of it. Or you give 10%. Why? Because you gave out. You realize that you had other bills, and they had to be paid. And so, I mean, if I don't take care of my family, I'm worse than an infidel, the Scripture says. So I can't really give the missions like I wanted to. I can't really give my tithe like I wanted to. But, Lord, you know I wanted to. But I'm just going to kind of give out. But I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll make up for it. Don't give out. Those guys went home. And they had nothing to talk about to their grandchildren except what cowards they were. So God looks at Gideon and said, 10,000 guys, you still have too many. 
So he tells Gideon, go on a march. Well, he goes on, Gideon, look on the map and see what took place. He goes on a march through the desert, and when the men get to a, a spring, which is still there today, obviously, they jumped in, more or less, and began just gulping the water down, but 300 of them brought the water up to their mouths and lapped it like a dog laps, the scripture says. After they had finished drinking, Gideon has them all stand aside, and the Lord said, okay, we're going to separate these men. Tell everybody who laughed like a dog to stand over here and the others stand over there. So 300 guys went over here. And Gideon probably thought, oh, that's 300 more guys I'm going to lose now. And God said, tell the guys who didn't laugh like a dog to go home. Why? Why did they have to go home? They were willing to fight. They were willing to go on what was a suicidal mission as far as they were concerned. They didn't give out when the opportunity presented itself. But they did give in. You say, did they give in to sin? Nope. Had nothing to do with sin. God made our bodies to desire water when we get hot and thirsty. He brought them to water. He said, drink. And they drank. They did nothing wrong. But they weren't good soldiers. They weren't paying attention for the shrubs and all the foliage that was around them where they could be. The enemy was literally on the other side, not of a mountain, but of a hill. Uh, an army so large they couldn't count the number of, of men, the number of camels and so forth. And any army like that, you guys know, are going to have scouts all over the area. And their scouting teams could be bigger than Gideon's army teams. They gave in to a natural desire. Thank you, that's the word. And for that, they didn't get to go. That's 300 men that are going to sit down with their grandkids one day and bounce them on their knee and say, what, what bedtime story do you want to hear? We want to hear about Gideon. Well, I've told you that before. Let me tell you another story. They lost bragging rights because they gave in. You know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, there was a movie called Kingdom of Heaven about the Crusades where the city of Jerusalem was attacked. The king of Jerusalem was going to fight against uh, Saladin. Uh, and Saladin urged the, them to come out to war, and they, they took the bait. They went out and they prepared for what they thought would be a three-hour venture to go out there, whip up on Saladin, come back in, we'll have supper tonight with our, with our wives and kids and our wine with the oatmeal down. That's probably what they were thinking. They went out on a three-hour journey that lasted three hours, three days. Almost like Gilligan's Island. I never thought about that till just now. That's pretty good. <laughs> Three-hour tour. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's in the Bible somewhere. It's not Gillian, it's Gideon. Okay. Anyway, what happened was they didn't come back for three days, so the survivors in Jerusalem went out looking for them, and they found their bodies having been decapitated and so forth. Piles of head here, piles of bodies here. And the sun was so high desert that many of the soldiers who wore chain mail, their flesh had literally melted into the chain mail. That's how hot it was. They were there for three days without water while Saladin and their troop, his troop were just buzzing and going on. They didn't have to fight for the food of God. Those guys were already dropping like that, falling off their horses and that. That's the same area Gideon marched his men through. So obviously when they got to the, to the little brook there or little they were thirsty. They didn't give out, but they gave in. Now, are you going to give in? When God gives you an opportunity to serve him, are you going to give in to, hey, 
natural to them. You know, some guys quit the ministry because they fall in love with a girl. Is there anything wrong with falling in love with a girl? No. That's how God made us. But he didn't make us so that we could fail to do what he wanted us to do. But he gave me that. And then finally, you know what happens? Gideon, the boys are getting ready to go to battle. They're around their campfires. Gideon's in his tent, scared. Didn't know what to do. The guys outside are writing notes home to their wives. Honey, I miss you. I miss the kids. I may never see you again. I got to that. I know I'll never see you again. Uh, I hid all the money by the juniper tree in the backyard. It's in the oil soaked bag. Uh, you take care of the kids. Don't you let that guy next door get one penny done. <laughs> they finish all their letters. He said, here, in case I don't make it, give this to my wife. He said, well, in case I don't make it, you give this to my wife. And this guy said, you're both crazy. Neither one of you are going to make it. We're all going to be dead in a few hours. So what are they writing these notes for? Gideon is afraid, and God says to him, Gideon, if you're afraid, crawl over the hill, sit outside the enemy camp and listen to what they're saying. And if you're really afraid, take your armor bearer with you. So here's Gideon, being a strong, mighty man of valor, leader of the forces. He's scared to death. But if he takes his 15-year-old armor bearer with him, everything's okay. Does that make any sense to you at all? It doesn't to me either. But it, Gideon had a problem, evidently. Uh, so they crawl over the hill. They're behind the bushes. They're sitting there listening to the to the pagan, infidel, heathen soldiers talking. You don't believe me? Wait till tomorrow night when we preach it. Um, and Gideon's just sitting there listening behind a bush. A soldier walks out of his tent. He walks over to the fire to warm himself up. And somebody looks up and says, what is wrong with you? Man, I just had a nightmare. Why? Tell us about it. Well, I, I dreamed that we're all here and this barley cake came rolling down the hill and rolled into the tent and the tent just fell over. Does that sound like a nightmare to you? I mean, that sounds like, all right, let's eat to me. How is that a nightmare? And they looked at each other and said, oh, no, what does it mean? And one of them said, it can only mean one thing. It means that tonight Gideon's going to come and kill us all. How do you get that out of that dream? I don't see how they did that. Well, Gideon's biting his tongue off now because he's about to have a Pentecostal fit, and he's crawling back over to the tent, tells the guys, get ready. It's time to go. They think go die, but he's talking about go win. So he says, get your, get your weapons. They begin putting their swords on. No, 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 you don't need that. The army of the Lord's going to fight for us tonight. Here, here's a ram's horn. Here's a clay pot. Here's a little, little uh, torch. A torch was like a, you guys go hiking sometimes, you, you have a little little fire and you want to preserve it for later, so you put it in a container with just a little bit of air hole so it doesn't go out. But then when you get ready to use it, you take the lid off and blow on it and it ignites again. Well, that's what they use these pitchers for, to put the, the straw away for the fire. So the fire is concealed until they take the lid off. Gideon said, I'm going to set you where I want you to be, and you watch me. You do what I do. Yeah, that's exactly what your pastor says to you all the time. 
He doesn't say go go soul winning. He says, I'm going soul winning. Come watch how I do it. That's a little thing called leadership. And if you don't do it that way, then you're not leading. You're just coasting along, expecting everybody to learn through osmosis what it is they're supposed to do. So Gideon blows his ram's horn. And every society used a ram's horn as a military tool. So they knew what that was. Armies are a problem. They cracked the clay pot in front of them. When they did, the, the oxen ignited fires. They saw fire, sparks of fire coming down the hillside. They all ran out, thought the enemy was upon them. They drew their own swords and killed themselves. Years later, there were 300 men in Israel that got to put their grandchildren on the ram horns and tell them how they went out one night and Gideon whipped up a load of Midian kids looked up and went, Dad, did he really do it? Yeah, I didn't know what he did. I was right there beside Gideon the whole time. He was shouting the sword of the Lord in Gideon, and I said the sword of the Lord in Gideon, and I did that too, or whatever. He threw his name in there. Why? He didn't give out. He didn't give in. And when it came time for battle, he didn't give up. He did exactly what he was there to do. And because they were obedient to God, God brought a great victory as a result of that. God spoke to one man and said, you're a mighty man of valor. I want to use you to do something. He gathers a bunch of men together, and then they all act as one man. Your pastor has a vision for your church to expand your emphasis for our You already do all you can do here in this area, but this is an area we got to grow it. And he has a vision that God is putting on his heart, burdening him about how can we do more, how can we do better. And I think that's extremely commendable. Just for one thing, just for a pastor to realize this, there's got to be more to this than what I am thinking it is. I saw that when I pastored for the short time that I pastored. And that's probably one thing that led me into missions uh, in, in, the, in the venue that I'm in. Because I got tired of reading letters that never mentioned a soul sign, never mentioned a church started, never mentioned lead, uh, discipling someone for ministry. Well, I heard about dogs getting run over and how much they miss banana pudding and all those sort of things. But I re- read them, I think, is this, is this really what we're supposed to do? find out that they're not even on the mission field. They're back in America. They've been there for a year and a half and just forgot to tell us. The things that go on in missions are incomprehensible. That's why when I find a good missionary, I like to help the guy out so he can be an example to other missionaries. It's just getting harder and harder and harder to find those good guys. But between myself and Brother Tim, we're going to give you guys some ideas and some things you can do. a lady that drove sister's head into the earth with a, with a tent peg. Well, Father, I don't want to go any further in uh, squashing the, anything you want me to do. But, Lord, I do know that uh, you love 
love these people. They love me. They have a reputation. And God knows how this trembles. Pastor, the excitement that they have here in this service is the love that they have for one another. Love only the whole world can be the love of God. If only there could be a church in every community so that they could love one another instead of fighting. week if you don't mind and put within the hearts of these people here an understanding that every kingdom to us even though they may find themselves in the threshing floor or the marketplace you've got something for them here and you don't give out and you don't give in and you don't give up here's what they sit on the hillside without a weapon because you're going to be the fighter for the faith. Lord, give them that burden. Give them that opportunity. If you are so pleased to do it. In Christ's name, amen. Sometimes a different voice, not a fresh perspective, maybe a little more understanding to bring about a truth. We're so engaged in following a pattern if we're not even invited to stand upon the altar of the truth. If things don't go according to what we've always done, and I am staunch things the same way all the time. Let's do it right. Uh, I'm, I'm built that way. I think, it's, I think it's right. Consistency. Stay at it, just like you talked about. Here's my problem. Something's wrong. Something's wrong in what we're trying to accomplish. I don't know why two or three years ago it started on my heart. I couldn't figure it out. Something was wrong. I, I didn't know what to do about it. And then I listened to these guys. I've been to Honduras once or twice since then. I'm listening to them. I'm hearing them talk, Brother Sungay and Brother Tim from the Pledger with uh, Dr. Tim Pledger down here. And I keep thinking something's, something's wrong. Something is not working right anymore. Okay, look at our church. Somebody just told you basically there's something we can do. So what did we do? We sat and we stared. We are so ingrained. What's wrong with working? Everybody should, unless it's distracting from what's really important. 
what is wrong with coming to church and sitting and listening? Nothing. God said assemble, right? Unless we're really not listening, we're just positioning ourselves. What is wrong with young American missionaries wanting to go in the field? Nothing. What are we getting out of it? What are they accomplishing? What is the goal? What is your goal? What's my goal? It's not I give more than you. It is what are we trying to accomplish? What is the goal? And it wasn't working. In my head and heart, it wasn't working at all. And I thought to myself, something is wrong. I can't put my finger on it. I don't even know what to do about it. And that's why they're here. It is my heart. The reason we don't have other missionaries here, you know what we've done? We have missionaries here, that, and just like he said, Brother Tim Clark said the same thing. They come, they tell you this is our desire, this is what's on their heart, and it all sounds really good. And we say, we don't have anybody in that part of the, of the world. Let's send them. So we do. Well, they're just getting started. They have 10%. they got to get 70 to 90% before they can even think about it because the mission board won't let them. So they travel all over the United States, and we get pictures, and we get letters, and not necessarily against that. It just doesn't make sense to me. I just don't understand. When we started off with Dad, I'm just telling you, if you had a bus and God said, you need to start a church, there's a bus, we could start there. But not today. You can't do that. We don't have a building. We don't have chairs. We don't have sound equipment. And if I could get enough support, maybe we could get started. And then they continue to work to make things easier. People should not follow somebody who, by faith, will not set the pace ahead of them. So how can a pastor continue to work, if you will, once he has a church able to support him? Is it just because he wants to have an easier life? How do you teach your people to live by faith when you don't? You said, why, why do you have to suffer? Because the Bible said so. After you suffered a while, make you perfect, strengthen, settle, establish. That's the Bible. How can you know Christ in the fellowship of his happy times? No, that's not what it says at all. So I'm looking at all of this, and somehow it's not making the connection for me. And I don't want to just keep giving more and giving more because that's the thing to do. What's the purpose? I want to know why. And then I'm kind of anxious to find out what we're going to do about it. I had a crazy thought while I was sitting up here, and I'm not going to share it. But I'm going to ask these guys if they see if it's a smart thing to do. And then I'll get back with you, but we'll see. Uh, I hope you listen tonight. I really do hope you listen. We're not talking about somebody who has some great ideas. We're talking about somebody who's been all over and said, here's what works. Here's what's going on right now. If you supported, we have close to 75 missionaries for X amount of dollars, and we can actually multiply that and get more people saved for the same amount, what would you do? There's not a, there's not a company in the world that wouldn't do that. So I, I don't know. I don't know what all I'm supposed to do yet. I'm listening just like you are, wondering, so what does that mean to me? And I take note. I listen to him. We're going to ask a whole bunch of questions. couldn't stand it either. A um, whole bunch of questions. I just hope that when you come here, you're not on guard wondering what they're going to ask you to do. Is my hope you say, whatever God wants me to do, that's what I want to do. 
So let's think about this together. Let's pray about this together. Let's learn together and then ask God, what do we do with all this? That's my goal, okay? So I'm glad to have you here tonight. Please stop by the table. You have your table out there too, right, Dr. Ed? And uh, stop by there. If you want to go on out there, and that way before they get out there, you can be there. And I see some of you. Felicia, hi Felicia, and uh, I kept wondering who in the world is out there, but anyway, glad to have you here, and now listen, we have a full schedule, what, what, uh, tomorrow, I don't even remember what it is, do you, don't you, yeah, yeah, come on up here and tell me, tell me what's going on tomorrow, do you remember, you don't remember, okay, tell me, uh, we have Anchor Baptist School Chapel tomorrow morning, please be here by 1015, start around 1020, so please make sure you're in the building by 1015. We'll lock the doors just because we'll all be in here, uh, so please make sure you're there at that time. Dr. Tim Hudge will be preaching chapel tomorrow, so we're looking forward to that, so please be here 1015 tomorrow morning. Yeah, and, and school dismisses at 1130, so please make sure you pick up your children, because I will not. Oh, yeah, so then tomorrow night we have church again at 730. Here, same time as usual. I was just doing the school stuff. I, I don't know. Forget already. It's a rough outfit, buddy, I'm telling you. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed. Thank you for being here. Uh, talk with the fellas out there. Get to know them. Uh, they have some magazines out there, and uh, it's really, really good to give you a lot of statistics and stories and stuff like that. Uh, brother, Dr. Tim Pledger is just a wealth of information. Stop by and talk to him. He loves to talk. And so uh, go by there and see him. Okay, don't always be in a hurry to go home. I need to hurry and go home for work. I couldn't used to wait to get away from work so I could come to church. What, Sam? What did I say? Anyway, God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you later on. <laughs>